Hello, true believers. You're listening to You Should Read This, a graphic novel and comic book review and discussion podcast with Ryan and Alan. Uh, hey, four color pals, four color compatriots. Welcome. Welcome back. We missed you. Uh, new listeners. I don't know what that was about. Don't worry about it. It's not, you know, no, no, no worries there. Uh, this is a show about comic books. We talk about one graphic novel or comic book. Uh, in each episode, um, this is technically the first episode because the other episode on our feed is the demo episode of the zeroth episode. So yeah, that's a thing. Uh, anyway, you can find more out about us by going to you should read this club. You can follow us on Twitter at ysrt comics and on Facebook and Instagram at you should read this comics. Thanks for listening. Uh, tell your friends, share, like, subscribe, uh, comment. Let us know that you exist. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, we would look forward to hearing from you. We do look forward to hearing from you. You know, not just theoretically, but actually. Please tell us you exist. Enjoy the show. You should read this, a comic book and graphic novel review show. My name's Ryan. And I'm Alan. Uh, we're here to talk about a comic book we think you should read. Uh, today we're going to talk about Headlopper, Volume 1, uh, written and drawn by Andrew McLean, with colors by Mike Spicer. Volume 1 of an ongoing series, it seems like, right? Yeah, it's a currently ongoing series on Image Comics. Um, so let's start by talking about I guess the people that made it, because I feel like that's where we should always start. Yeah, that seems um, reasonable. This is Andrew McLean's like baby. It seems like it's it's like yeah. this thing that he does the most. Yeah, he the first issue of this um, he put out ages ago, like buy this, you know, self published. It's five bucks on my website. Yeah, come get this comic I made. How cool is that? Uh, he wrote it and. Um, did just most of the stuff himself, uh, although he didn't color the first one. He got somebody else to color it. But it, like, I remember seeing it just ages ago, just like a kind of a one-off standalone issue um, online, and I and I paid a couple bucks for a digital copy of it and read it. I was like, oh, this is neat. <laughs> I I think the first time I saw it was when I was scrolling through Instagram and just like accumulating artists to follow, and I saw this headlopper thing, and I thought it was just. Like, I didn't know it was a comic. I just thought mm -hmm. it was, uh, like, a funny original character that he came up with. It's funny because it's ridiculous. I mean, let's put that out there, like, up front. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it's totally just over-the-top violence, just crazy. He's just a crazy, unstoppable, beefy, bearded man with a, with a sword. sword. It, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of thought that went into the character creation. But at it, least at first, it doesn't seem like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I thought I saw a lot of it on on Instagram, and I'm just like, oh, this is fun. I'll I'll follow him. Also, his art is really good. We'll talk like, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, um, I I did not know this was like a full comic until much later. And then when you said we should read it, 
I'm like, oh, heck yeah. That's been on the list for like a long time. I'm super yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, like, I kind of forgot about it. And then uh, he had this book called uh, Apocalyptic Girl, an aria for the end times uh, that came out on Dark Horse. And it was just like an original graphic novel, like a relatively short, like 100 something pages. Um, just a small digest sized book. And I really dug it and I brought it to four color commentary. Um, and like after that, it sort of raised his profile to the point that he started, um, he put out, or at least he announced on his Twitter or Instagram or something like, Hey, I'm, I'm working on Headlopper again, this time for image. And it's going to be double size issues. I love that image can just like publish people's not, 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 terrible i don't want to use the word terrible but they can they can publish people's um like passion projects you know they can they can say this is fun like this does pretty well with with a general public um we'll pay you to just do this thing that you were going to do anyway and put up on gum road for three bucks yeah my, compile it for you some of my understanding with the way economics of image works is that he may not be getting paid for this <laughs> and it may be one of those like look we'll put this out and if it sells more than this many copies, maybe you'll see a dime of it. Really? I thought Image was all about creator-owned. Yeah, it is creator-owned. He can do whatever he wants with it. But basically, I think that, and this is sort of through heresy, and I haven't, not heresy, hearsay, and I haven't, <laughs> um, I haven't talked to anybody about it in a while, but the last I heard, kind of Image's deal was like, hey, we think this is good, we think it'll sell. Um, so you write and draw it, you own what you write and draw, We'll publish it, and if it doesn't sell, no harm, no foul, kind of thing. We we lost money on it, and if it does sell, then we make money on it until we've made enough that you make money on it. And I think that's depends on contracts and stuff. So it's like the it's like the pay to play model. Like, hey, you have to sell thirty pre sale, but everything after that, I mean, that's that's I, money in your pocket. Like, comics is a pre sale market. Oh, that's Basically. true. Yeah, like in, until you get to the point that you're selling trades on Amazon, like that's that's where the real volume. But even then, even when you see people publish like trades on Amazon, they're they're all about, hey, go pre-order, go pre-order my book. <laughs> yeah, I I guess that's true. I mean, the whole I feel like especially the comics industry in general is pushing pre-sale as if people it, it's either this is a new concept, which it's not. Mm-mm. Or they've realized that people don't know about pre-sales. Well, I think like it's... the fact that local comic book shops need the pre-sales to stock the books, and then that informs how many prints, which, like, it's this weird, hey, you have to know if you like a book before the stores will order enough of them. Well, because it's a risk for everybody, right? It's a risk for Image to put it out. It's a risk for a comic book store to, to carry it. So, like, you pre-ordering it through a comic book store tells the comic book store, hey, you guaranteed at least one copy of this book sold, which by the comic book store then ordering it from Diamond, who orders it from Image, Image knows, hey, I guaranteed at least sold one copy of this book. Hmm. And so they, you know, if unless it's got Batman or Wolverine on it, they nobody's going to just walk in unless they're a huge nerd like me and be like, yeah, I want that head lopper. <laughs> You're just going to be, you know, Hey, this this looks cool. This guy cuts a bunch of people's heads off. But I mean, like, if if you could talk to Kenny at, at uh, Nuclear, he's got thousands, literally thousands of comics that he was like, "Hey, this looks pretty good. I bet people will buy it," and they didn't. 
you know, and, and so yeah. then he just sort of eats it. I mean, it sucks. It, it's just at the same time, how do you, how, how do regular novels like word novels? <laughs> I, what's the word I'm looking for here, right? Yeah. Uh, prose. prose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does does that focus on does that work in the same way? I've never actually thought about it. The I've I've been I follow some writers on Twitter and the pre-sale metric is serious. The there's more uh, in comics. Diamond Comics Distribution has a monopoly on comics mm-hmm. distribution, and mm-hmm. they are very stingy with the data that they give out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in regular publishing. There, the data is much more well known. A publisher can know, like, on average, a book that aims for this demographic that's this long, that costs this much, is going to sell this many copies, uh, and and that's a lot more opaque in comics, I think. Gotcha. Uh, but I, I, yeah, yeah, it's it's still. I mean, in in publishing prose, it's still the same way. Like, the publisher looks at your pitch, and or looks at your draft and says, you know, we'll we'll give you this much of an advance, and you know, you get you get half of it now, half of it when you deliver the final manuscript, and then if your book sells enough copies, you'll pay off the advance, mm-hmm. and then maybe you'll make some money. Okay. Yeah. I man, that's rough. Sorry, I didn't mean to go into like the economics of publishing. Here's the thing: we're giant nerds. We're yeah. going to go into the economics of things. <laughs> that's how this works. I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to go into the economics of fantasy worlds. So let's just start with the real world, shall we? That does bug me sometimes. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Let's so talk about fantasy worlds. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, the other creators. Sure. So, um, uh, what's his? Uh, so Andrew <laughs> McLean. Yeah, Andrew McLean is the writer and the artist. Uh, he writes and draws pencils and inks. Uh, Mike Spicer did the colors on most of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, though the chapter three was colored by Andrew McLean himself, uh, which you can tell it's a drastically different color scheme. Mm-hmm. And then the epilogue was colored by Lynn Wiesel and Joseph Bergen, um, who run a, um, they have web comics online uh, under the name Owlin Comics. Uh, I don't know that name. I feel like I know that name. Man, you, you have just marked yourself. It is mostly things that are not for work or appropriate oh, for children. Gotcha. Uh, then then I probably don't know that name. Yeah. Uh, but they oh, work yeah, together on is... that kind of stuff. They they did a, they did some stuff in one of the issues of Island, uh that uh, okay. Brandon Graham comics anthology. Uh that actually had a lot of people who traditionally work in adult comics. <laughs> I feel like I've heard you mention that name in reference to something else, if that makes sense. And I'm like, I'm oh, I brought you. All right, well, that's fine. I'm just saying that you're the one that brought it up. Um, <laughs> I'm looking, for some reason, I, I didn't read, for some reason, I didn't read all of the fine print in the beginning of the book. So oh. I didn't realize that it was colored by different people. And mm-hmm. heck yeah, this first like issue compared to issue three is ridiculously different color-wise. <laughs> but also issue three takes place in like a very different place. True. It's just so right, much flat color. The, the desert one, yeah. Issue three is the weird desert one. Okay, are we good on are we good on creators? Should we should we move on to what this book is actually about? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you do you want to do the honors or should I? Um, you do it. I've I've read this a couple of times. I want to see how much of this you picked up. Okay, so as far as I understand it, this is <laughs> this is a really cartoony 
well, I guess it's not cartoony, but this is definitely a tropey Conan-esque fantasy comic um, mm. where a man who wields a sword very, very well um, fights things and kills things. And because his place, he gets up in realm politics <laughs> and as well as just straight up killing things. So it's sort of like, Mr. Headlopper, we need you to kill things but also we are going to try to entrap you. Um, and it's sort of just his journey killing things and being entrapped. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's it's weird because he, like there's this story that happens in this book and he's only sort of tangentially related as this blunt or I guess sharp head lopping object in it. He's sort of, he's not the MacGuffin. What, what is the name for the thing that pushes this plot along, but forcefully? <laughs> yeah. Not like the thing that everybody's after, but the thing that literally just forces it forward. The, the Schwarzenegger? Oh, that's a good name. No, I don't know. I just made that up, but. It's good though. I mean, I could see him playing this character. Oh, for sure. That would be it's, ridiculous. It's sort of like, wow, there's this really um, delicate and well thought out plot point that if only somebody were to stumble upon, we can move the plot forward. No, I'm just going to chop it. <laughs> I also really like the dedication to head lopping in this book. Yeah, he really like that's his deal. Yeah, like it, there's a lot of gut slashing, but there is like ninety percent head lopping, ten percent slashing. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impressive <laughs> the amount of the amount of slashing of heads that he does. Um, he knows how to brand himself. Even even like monsters whose heads are in question. <laughs> Like as if it may or may not have a head. Yeah. To be like lopped. He's he's gonna figure it out and his sword's gonna strike true. Yeah. Is he well, it, it's sort of like that question, like if dogs were to wear pants, how would they wear them? Yeah, yeah. If this thing were to have a head, where would it be? Yeah. Well and then <laughs> they fight that, that weird like scorpion monster thing. Right. The tail looks like a head, so he cuts the tail off. But then and it then, does actually still have a face. Right. And so Go ahead. Steven Universe is it, and he goes for the crystal. <laughs> Which I think is just so funny. It's, it's so funny to see, especially in, in like fantasy comics or comics in general, the blinking vulnerability video game trope yeah. that like comes through as sort of either completely tongue-in-cheek or, or just sort of off the cuff. Like, hey, this is its weak point. Because everybody making comics now is uh, 30 years old or older, and we all grew yeah. up with a Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I love it when that happens. I'm like, oh, well, all right. We know, we know what you did when you were a kid. <laughs> and a little arrow, it's all bing. <laughs> or it glows. Yeah, yeah. And now it starts to glow red. Oh, we must have we hit it enough times. Now he's extra angry. <laughs> it, it's about to die quick. Keep, like, just nuke it. Go hard. <laughs> um. I think that I don't know what the basic premise of this book. Like when you asked me like to describe this book, I don't know if I could tell you what the basic premise is other than barbarian stumbles into political intrigue of fantasy kingdom. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good summation. Um, I really, it's, it's funny that you mentioned like sort of the tropes, like the video gamey aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, because I think this book really, really plays with that. Um, like it, it clearly doesn't expect us to take it very seriously. And I think that mm-hmm. the art is part of it. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't see it as like a, like a serious down and dirty, grim and gritty, um, thing, even though like 
the main character barely talks and runs around with a sword and a witch head and kills stuff the whole time. Like right. it doesn't like you say it like that and it sounds dark and gloomy, but it's, it's not at all. And it feels much more fun and much more like a romp or like an adventure. Right. And, and I'm trying to like, I haven't fully figured out why, like it, they, he does this good job of like sometimes making it not like, obviously it's a, it's a fantasy world, but it's not that it's, unreal but it's got this like surreal like video game or um you know dungeons and dragons kind of element to it right where you sort of expect all the pieces to fall into place and it doesn't feel contrived when you do it it's like yeah that's what i want it feels like satisfying right you know yeah i I think i get it and I, i think i like if it were if it were me analyzing your feelings about it, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. If sure. I was going to therapize you a little bit, uh, <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with, um, first of all, like the writing itself, which is at times very dark and evocative, uh-huh. uh, especially especially some of the artwork they set up, but the writing itself. Uh, but then there's times where a disembodied head is making jokes with a skull about how the skull doesn't talk much. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just like, it takes you out of that moment. And yeah, I think the art, because the art, I don't want to call the art simplistic. That's wrong. No. And it's, it's not really cartoon. stylized. Stylized is such a good word. And I, I don't like calling things stylized because I feel like all that means is somebody drew it in a style. But like, it's a little augmented. It's a little deformed. It's a little, um, uh, um, like, the lines get pushed a lot, you know? But mm-hmm. um, the inking is really interesting because in a fantasy world, when you want to make things dark and unknowable, you just ink the heck out of it. Just make it super yeah. dark. But we all know the person who does that the most and or best would be, uh, you know, Mike Mignola who does Hellboy. Sure. And so I got a lot of Hellboy esque feelings from reading this book mm-hmm. from looking at the art, but those were all the super dark, serious moments. Like everybody's crowd, crowd in the shower, like things that need to be dark or serious or awesome all got like heavy ink jobs um and the rest where he's like i'm looking at the heaven's causeway bit where oh, he's yeah. jumping from stone to stone um it's all brightly lit and it's got purple and yellow and orange in it um and just because they're making jump jokes like hop hop ox leap yeah <laughs> and then at night when they go to camp in the graveyard that's when things get dark and inky almost because it's nighttime but it also makes it way more epic too yeah yeah okay so it's almost like uh it's like if mignola grew up playing super nintendo (laughs) you know like where where the the influence for the abstraction to the shapes of the characters Mm -hmm. doesn't come from like um neil adams and um john byrne and guys like that but the influence for the shapes of the characters comes from like you know 16-bit sprites Right. It it looks like everybody's an, uh, anatomy is two blocks long, you know, and, yeah. and it's just, this is an arm and this is a head. And the far away shots always make me laugh because he has so much white hair and beard that he doesn't mm-hmm. even bother to draw a face. He just draws uh, yeah. the beard with like an angry face on it. Yeah, he totally, he to- everybody has um, like a close model and a distance model. Right. He doesn't hesitate to jump to the distance model, even when it's still a little close. He can be the sense that like, yeah, look, this person's kind of far. Yeah. And part of me is like, you lazy 
guy. Right. And he's like, no, nah, it looks so cool though. It does. And then there's the, I'm looking at, um, looking at page 26 right now um, where you have a combination of basically just what we were talking about on the right side with those four mm-hmm. panels. Uh, but then the bottom panel is Agatha, the blue witch and her face is just all marked up and super um, detailed. Like you put a lot of work into those inks there. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the sort of dichotomy that this book is capable of, um, which I think makes it super fun because it takes you in and out of that. Um, this is super heavy. Now it's super not kind of thing. Yeah. So because he mostly just the next page, he literally punts her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly. It's so ridiculous. I, thought, I, I did think that, uh, Agatha was an interesting character. She's just a disembodied witch head, witch or a crone. I think, um, it, it says in one of the, in somewhere in the book that like, there's a group of people who they thought were witches, but it turns out they were actually like ancient troll crones mm. who were extra dark and evil. And the sense at the end when, when Bara, the sorcerer sort of like eats her or whatever is that she was one of those. Okay. That's what I thought. Which would also explain how she can live as a head. Right. Cause she's not just a normal. I, I thought it was great because like it could have been that she's constantly like doom saying him and it could have <laughs> yeah. been super annoying. Yeah. Uh, it could have been like the, uh, like the old lady in the dream in princess bride. Mm-hmm. But like I could sort of it, in the book, I can hear her voice like cackling and like just making fun of him and right. not like harshly mocking him, but just being like, yeah, good job. Keep jumping. Good jump, jump, jump. You know? <laughs> going. Yeah. I'm just or, along for the ride. Cause I'm literally ahead. There's nothing I can do about it. Or like one of the later issues where he's walking and she's just talking, constantly telling some stupid story about somebody with like fly wings. Yeah, where she's like basically just has nothing better to do. Just so she's prattling just gonna, on, and he's just like, "Oh my gosh, I do not care." Yeah, <laughs> it's super funny because I'm wondering. I guess he knows that she is powerful because she is. She is sort of the MacGuffin in this whole volume. Yeah, yeah, she totally is. Um, you don't realize it till well. I guess you realize it pretty early because somebody right. the because Bara sort of states like, "Bring me the witch's head," but you don't right. you don't get why anybody cares about her. Right. I just don't, I don't get the feeling that like Norgal, uh, the head lopper, um, which I think is funny that he basically just has to keep telling people not to call him a head lopper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like uh, if Logan was running around, don't call me Wolverine. Exactly. Call it's me Logan. Logan. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't think that he gets the idea that she's super pow- powerful. He just doesn't want to leave her anywhere and then have her corrupt wherever he leaves her. <laughs> So he's yeah. sort of begrudgingly carrying her into this sort of destined encounter. Yeah, and it's like he's not super worried that somebody's going to take her, and that's why he'll like punt her away, deal with yeah. whatever he's dealing with, and then go collect her. Mm-hmm. Like if he was legitimate worried that like she was a source of power that other people were after, he wouldn't keep throwing her around. He which is why in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> which he does in the beginning. Um, I, I think it's really interesting uh, that he he is basically this isn't this isn't the right terminology because this this story is actually pretty serious mm-hmm. but he is the straight man to the series well and she's sort of the she's sort of the the comic relief in a sense actually i think i think the rest of the the characters are the comic relief in in the sense well yeah she is the comic relief but i mean they're like the dramatic relief yeah so this goes back to what i was saying about earlier is he's not like she's the macguffin he's the transporter of the macguffin mm-hmm. 
and it's not like he is disinterested in helping people. He yeah. generally he generally seems like he cares about doing the right thing and helping people. Well, yeah, he but, takes the quest from the queen. Yeah, and he's sort of like, uh, you know, by your uh, by my hand, I'll you know I'll save your kingdom kind of thing. And it's not like for money. Like he doesn't really seem to care about that. He generally yeah. just seems like a dude that wanders that does feats of strength. And yeah, it's he, just so funny that like he's the one where everybody's acting on him. And for the most part, he's just like, I don't care. Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's like this weird driving force in the story that sort of like sets all, like all these plans have been set in place and he sort of like sets them in motion by his presence. Right. And that's just because he cuts things heads off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They're like, oh boy, I guess we better do this now while this head cutter guy's here. So, which makes... In my opinion, it actually endeared me to the character because I thought it was super funny that he would just be bouncing from thing to thing. Mm-hmm. And he, his, like his aim was kind of just to, to go along and then people kept asking him to go and do things. In typical D&D fashion, he's basically a murder hobo, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a merc. He's, a, he's an adventurer for hire. I don't know if he's... I mean, yes, for hire. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the weird thing. Yeah, it's more like a give me a good a good enough reason, right? And I'll go do it. Yeah, sort of like a Pay I didn't force with yeah. compassion. Make me feel bad. So the political intrigue in this book is pretty top tier in my. Oh opinion. man, like I I was because I had read the first issue a couple of times before, um, and so like it gets to the part about the other guy whose name I can't, his name is like Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda. (laughs) Nope. Are you talking about the dude in black? Yeah. The dude in black. Lou Lock. Lou Lock. Yeah. So he comes up really early and there's definitely some intrigue, but it's really, really unclear like what's going on and who's where and why. And even through the second issue, and it really doesn't fulfill itself till almost like the last couple of chapters. Yeah. And I was like, I was so impressed with the way the story came full circle and the way that the, um, the flashback sort of came up and you're like, I don't understand what's happening. I guess this was a flashback. Well, I don't understand what's happening. I guess this is also a flashback. And then later like, Oh, now the context has been put in place for all those things. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. Cause I think, I mean, in typical good villain fashion, you gave him a sob story backstory. Mm-hmm. So that you care about him a little bit, but like, just enough to know where he's coming from. It's not enough to actually care about him because he's still a giant jerk. Yeah. But he's still an evil dude. Yeah, no, he totally is, but you don't... You you get the sense at the beginning, like, oh, this is a bad guy, but you don't yeah. really get why until pretty close to the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, right. it takes a while. Yeah, where you're like, oh, he, he actually did kill the king, like, personally. Which is why I'm super stoked on uh, the format for this show because we get to read whole runs because you know writing for the trade is a thing yeah. at the very least you want to see some stuff get resolved oh man yeah and it gets resolved so good this is like, the storytelling in this book is great it's it's funny because we're sitting here talking about how it's like the super stylized book where this guy runs around and cuts people's heads off mm-hmm. and then, like the story is so fulfilling and there's so many like twists and turns and i was enthralled like I was sucked in. I really liked this. It definitely read fast for me because there was a lot of really interesting characters. Like the whole thing with the sisters. Yeah. Like that was really interesting to just be like, okay, this is a sort of detour that ties back in. And also he, you know, he gets a comrade out of it, which is yeah. certainly going to pay off later, which I thought and, was cool. And one of the sisters is like, 
look, you smoked all our stuff, so we have to do this. <laughs> so we have to do this now. Like yeah, it, 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 like this, this sort of like like weird element of realism in this in this totally uh, fantastic book. Yeah, and I think it definitely could have gone the way of, and I bring this up because of of Mike Spicer being the colorist on it, but shirtless bear fighter. Yeah, like he, this could have been shirtless bear fighter, where it's just like, well, I'm a guy that chops off heads. And I'm gonna chop some heads off. Wow, that was fun. See you next time, folks. Well, yeah, so, like it, like it could have just been like, oh, it's a foregone conclusion that he's gonna chop the heads, and he's probably invincible, and there's never any peril, and you're never worried about anything. Right. He's just gonna chop heads off. Yeah. But, but really, like we talked about earlier, he's the driving force for the melodrama going on around him. Yeah. Which is wow, interesting. That's a good way to put it. Um, I think I also noticed from issue one. To ish to the end of the to end of the volume, like the evolution of the of the art. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it really, like it definitely has the same style all the way through, mm-hmm. but it gets real tight. Like like the the style that he had at, at issue one, um, definitely sticks. But he just gets better at it. Like it's super. I want to say bare bones. Um, like the, the sea serpent monster has a couple wrinkles here and there, but like, if you're looking at later Andrew McLean stuff, like everybody's all wrinkled and gnarled and there are like so many extra lines and everything. Oh yeah. When, when the Bara turns into that monster and then he cuts his arm off and he goes Mm -hmm. all, he goes all Tetsuo on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when he turns into that three headed beast, which was awesome. Oh, so cool. (laughs) So cool. I gotta tell you, man, I wanna I wanna set a D and D campaign in this world so bad. Oh yeah, but I mean, this like is as soon basically... as he, he gives you the map right off the bat, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, I want this. I want <laughs> I want to put I want to make people fight here. Yeah, take him to the bog. In this place, yeah. Like, uh, and then just force a TPK so you can just say, like, now you're part of the bog. No, like <laughs> this would be so fun. I've been. We can talk D and D off mic. We should, but, uh, <laughs> but man, this would be a this would be a fun setting for a campaign. I really like speaking of um, campaign settings. I really like the character creation, mm-hmm. like how he's got this weird like teeth beak thing that you see a couple times. Uh-huh. Uh Like once, like in the in the sea serpent in the very beginning, and then once in the Bara monster at the end. Um, and oh just, yeah, yeah. It looks super weird. Um, it's like um, it's like Beta Ray Bill. It is like very Which, horsey. Yeah, just like a insect-y. horse skull. Yeah, because he's got the big teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and the uh, the mega arachnid is what they call it. <laughs> yeah, where it has <laughs> that weird face, weird on his clown head. tail. Oh, yeah. that was scary as hell, man. That was scary. That was the scariest part, I think, for me, just because of my relationship with eight-legged creatures. You know what I think, though? I think he could have really drawn out this arc. Like, this arc, especially with all of the little arcs in between, mm-hmm. um, like, this could have been the whole thing. This could have been the He-Man and um, uh, Skeletor or, like, Thundercats and Mumra type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. You just just the, the ancient Bara trying to... Cause this isn't, oh, that's definitely... The island, right? That's absolutely something that feeds into this is the He-Man, Thundercats, like the 80s cartoon oh, thing. Yeah. Like that's another thing that sets it apart from like Mignola and stuff is mm-hmm. that he clearly like was a kid in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 
and he's influenced by that stuff. <laughs> I, I like like the the yeah. super serious melodrama and jokes. Yeah, it's just like it's so it's so serious that you can't take it seriously. Yeah, because that would just be ridiculous. We're mm-hmm. we're adults. Like this is stupid. But at the same time, um, the the same tropes and character developments that you get in this book are the same ones that you would get in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. some reason, Game of Thrones is you know way more serious because it doesn't have disembodied heads making jokes with the skull. Yeah. Which I mean, (laughs) which you could tell is one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That part was so dumb and so funny. It was super funny. That one and uh, him going hop, hop, hop over the, Oh yeah. And where he like laughs, he laughs to himself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which which would totally be the way he laughed. It's just like low and guttural and not like, it's not a belly laugh. It's just like, (laughs) that was funny. The tone in this book, man, he writes this line that I like, I know that like high praise for a comic book is like, this should be a movie or this should be a TV show. Mm -hmm. They would ruin it. They would, it would be, it would not keep the tone. The only way this would work would be as a like cartoon network show. Like all uh, Adventure Time, yeah, all Adventure Time or Steven Universe or or a um, maybe Disney could do it. I mean, they wouldn't because it's way too no. long. But um, but you know, kind of like uh, Gravity Falls or something, where they have the scary stuff and the weird stuff with the jokes. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, I agree. Fits in that, but it, but it, it's too. I, th- I mean, honestly, it's too funny for quote unquote, you know, adult grown up serious prestige tv yeah but on the other side of that spectrum like if adult swim got a hold of it you know it would be yeah. it would not be the same also i feel like it's not funny enough for adult swim or it would be well yeah i i feel like that's the case adult swim would be like well let's put a bunch of you know there's not um, nearly enough weed jokes in this. yeah there needs to only be a few jokes. um uh i was what was gonna say about um oh, shoot i lost it uh, no, i was just, the 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 skin colors on people really take it to a fantastic realm. Like at first, like Norgal is he's colored sort of like light tan, yeah. Um, you know, like white Pasty guy. White. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like then we first see the like priest who's sort of like kind of a purplish gray. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I wonder, you know, is that black people in this world? <laughs> but then like much later in the book, we see a character who's clearly supposed to be, you know, either, you know, Latin American or black. And you're like, oh, no, like these people with like weird purple skin, they just are weird and purple. Yep. Like, these people with blue skin, that's just the color that, you know, they have teal skin and that's just their deal. That's and it, so and cool. it immediately like makes it so much more fantastic to me. Where it's not, it's not anything like they don't have extra horns or extra eyes or anything. It's just they have different weird colored skin. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, oh, yeah, she's blue. She's green. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, yep. You know, it's, it's space. But this isn't space. This is some sort of, you know, fantastic realm. I just like the fact that um, Lou Locke, the main bad guy, dresses in all black and looks like a serial killer. But they think that he's the most loyal person in the realm. Well, but they don't like the... Um, there's that conversation that the king has with his wife where she's like, dude, he's totally like super not trustworthy. Well, yeah, like, she has to be the wise person. Like there has to be at least one. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, clearly she survives and he's just like, look, his record says that he is trustworthy. You he know, also he, looks like uh, he was drawn by um, Paul Pope. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely some Pope uh, elements in here. Yeah. 
Uh, the lips. <laughs> the <laughs> king's big, lips. Big, lips. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, anything with giant wolves is pretty cool. I feel like we're oh, just yeah. jumping around this book because there's Dude, some it's cool moments. so moment. cool. It's such a cool book. Um, I really, like, I, I have read this digitally, but I, uh, I picked up the actual print copy on um, Amazon. And I also just because I'm a crazy person, also have individual print copies. Because mm-hmm. I really liked the the covers. Little did I know they're printed in the back of the trade. I'm looking at um, those, yeah. But, like, they got uh, James Stokoe to do a cover and Raphael Grandpa to do a cover and Mike Allred and Laura Allred to do a cover. And, like, they, obviously everybody's just like, you want me to draw a big dude with a <laughs> white beard and a sword? I'm on it. You yeah. know? Um, but this looks so cool in print. Uh, it's just well the other thing is i know colors just explode off the page yeah i know from watching him that he does all of his inking traditionally too oh does he yeah that's it's all gnarly that's i mean what is he does he it's a brush pen he uses a brush pen yep no way how is his line this consistent with a brush pen i don't know it's always mesmerizing to watch is he a human being I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go find. Hold on. You might hear some tic tacs because I'm gonna look this up. That's that's astonishing. Yeah, I'm looking really close, and yeah, you can see his his line does like thicken and thin out, just like with mm-hmm. the brush, the way you'd want it to. But oh man, that's so good. Oh yeah, just just Google Andrew McLean inking, and like it's the fourth one in. You can see him inking uh, that pirate at the end. Uh huh. Like from that panel. Oh man. It's gonna bum me out because there's at least I'm. I don't even pretend to be an artist, so I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> oh man, if I was if I was in college, I would want this um this final page on my wall. Oh yeah, with all the characters lined up. Yeah, just it's it's just straight up like a like a pinup. It's a it's a character poster. Mm-hmm. And it's got the the zombie giant, and he's holding one of the ghost kings, and it's got the wolf and the weird gem monster and it's got everything and it's so cool looking. It definitely looks like something you should put on your wall. That's kind of the point of it. Right. Oh yeah. gosh. Trad Moore did one. Yeah. Trad Moore did a, did a pinup. Yeah. The pinups at the back of this book, besides the sketchbook, which is really cool to sort of see the characters come together, but he got, I mean, he got a ton of people. He not only Trad Moore, but like uh, Michael Avon Emming, Mike Mignola did a, mm-hmm. Did one? Uh, let's see, Paul Mayberry. Uh, yeah, there's that insane Treadmore one. That Mike Mignola one looks so weird. Honestly, I feel like he could have done better, but it looks good. It looks good. It looks very Mike Mignola. Yeah. Uh, I really like the, the James Stokoe cover because I love James Stokoe. The Gabriel Ba cover is really good too. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the uh, Joe Delegato one. is really really cool. The Joe Delgado one looks more like Mignola than Mignola does. <laughs> um, is this Paul Mayberry? Oh, that? yeah. And Simone De- uh, Darmini? Yeah. Which did this weird, like, Agatha... Like, it, like, it looks like Scotty Young. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Out. And there's, like, a, some sort of animal trying to eat Agatha's head. And then Toby Cypress is the other one I'm looking at, which is, like, this... Like I would, I would read a whole book done in this style, because it just looks so pretty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the like watercolor and the um, screen tone. Yeah, the screen tone and the watercolor. Does Toby Cypress do? um, What does he do? 
That's a good question. Let's find His out. His style looks really familiar. It seems like um, Gravedigger's Union. I was, was going to say that, actually. I was totally going to say that. Um, but I was also going to say, what was the uh, deathbed was the only one I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but let me see. Oh, he does do Gravedigger's Union. Boom. Oh, there you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. Got it in one. Um, oh, you know what? And they're all part of this uh, uh, Out of Step Arts Collective. You ever heard of Out of Step Arts? I have not. Tell me about it. Uh, if you go to outofstepparts.com, it's just a bunch of artists who do oh, white stuff suits. like a little weird. And they're like, hey, let's, let's just be pals. Like Andrew McLean, Ming Doyle's in here, Paul Mayberry, Toby Cypress, uh, Liz Suburbia. Um, and they just like they just have a website where you can buy their art and mm-hmm. apparel, merch. Um, though um, Andrew McLean also has a site called Laser Wolf Attack, <laughs> where he makes oh yeah I've seen where that he makes image. shirts and pins and and hats. I have a Laser Wolf Attack hat uh, of this like sort of like ghostly skeleton guy with yeah. behind him, and it's just super metal. It's my most metal shirt. Uh, or hat. Uh, I was. I've seen these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Oh gosh, it's so cool. I seen the. There's the one I keep saying. It's the. It looks like the Castle Grayskull kind of thing. Oh yeah. Like a, like a tower that looks like a skull with a ramp leading up to it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen a lot of these. Well, I don't know, man. Like this book is uh, like way too much fun. <laughs> it's. it's, it's, it's I love it because it's fun, but it also has a really, really good story. And it didn't, it's weird to say, like, it didn't need to have a good story to be good. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that the story is, like, interesting and enthralling and intriguing and, like, has twists and turns, like, elevates this from, this is a cool-looking book, to, like, man, this book just kicks butt. It just fires mm-hmm. on all cylinders. And it's just, like, even, once you get used to the style, I think, like, if you've never seen a style like this, if you can... Mm-hmm. If you can get used to it, the art in it is just like amazing. Like looking at some of the sketch stuff in the back, and looking at him doing studies on certain things, mm-hmm. um, where he puts, you know, like it looks like he had time to sit down and really put some effort into it. Yeah, I mean, it all just looks really cool. Yeah, it really does. This is super fun. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the book again, Headlopper Volume One or Headlopper. Uh, and the island, or Headlopper, and a Plague of Beasts. Uh, you can get it wherever comic books are sold. Um, Although Brian recommends that you buy it traditionally, like buy it in a store rather than yeah. Get it digitally. Yeah, you can get it. It's from Image, so you can get it on Comicsology. But uh, boy, it looks good in person. I tell you what, colors are absolutely worth it. They are. Um, my name is Ryan Roop. You can find me on the internet at r y a n r u p p e on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I write about music at prestigeformat.com. And I'm Alan Parsons. You can find me at marginally talented, M-R-G-N-L-Y talented. Uh, you can find me on Instagram where I draw uh, my things and I put them up there, uh, including um, a comic about a dinosaur and robot, uh, kaiju pair who have fun doing parkour. Which and they shout parkour while they're doing it. Well, I mean, that's, you have to, isn't that the rules of parkour? No, no, it's just the office rules. Oh, well. I think we can all agree the office does rule. You got to watch District B thirteen. It's a parkour movie. It's actually <laughs> terrible, but the parkour and it's really cool. Okay, I will. I will look that up. All right. Thanks for listening to. You should read this. <laughs>
we don't have a tagline to go out on. No, we're yet. just going to end it awkwardly. Okay, let's end it awkwardly. And, and cut. go. <laughs>